You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Uh, I, I remember uh, uh, reading uh, about a, a book that was written not too long ago, and it was called Entertaining Ourselves to Death. And the, the, the general uh, plot line of that book uh, is that we are an over-entertained uh, people now, uh, to the point that we are neglecting things that matter more, right? We have an infinite supply of things to entertain us. Um, if you have a streaming service, whether that's a Netflix or Hulu or Disney Plus, or uh, maybe you just own the internet and you have this thing called YouTube, um, right? Right? You have infinite supply of of material, right? You will never run out of something to watch. And in fact, there's so many things. Uh, to watch so many um, different people creating stuff for you to view, um, that if you set out today to view it all, uh, you would never make any progress, right? Like, there's, there's more stuff now, and there will be more stuff made this minute um, than you can consume in this minute. You could fill your house with screens and have them all playing simultaneously, and if the rate of content creation continues, you will never consume all that is out there. Uh, and we find ourselves just so entertained. The problem with constantly seeking entertainment is it damages other parts of our life that need to be uh, focused on. This introspection, the idea of doing business inside of ourselves. And so the author of Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, begins to set out to talk about the value of wisdom. And how wisdom is often lost to people um, because they don't seek it properly. Right? We would all want to be wise. If I was to ask you, uh, do you wish to be wise? You would say, yeah, I want to have wisdom. I want to be able to make wise decisions with uh, my finances, with my family, with my relationships. Right? I want to make wise decisions. Any, any big decision I make, I want it to be wise so I don't end up in a ditch somewhere uh, that, that I didn't see coming. Wisdom is valued in our culture, but it's not valued enough for us to pursue it Rightly, That's at least what the author of Ecclesiastes finds in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Read with me, starting in verse 1 of Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Uh, he says, A good name is better than precious ointment than the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go into the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of, fuel, of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Ecclesiastes often sounds a sour no, right? You read it and you're like, that is just really, really, really not what I want to hear today, right? Like, I mean, you read it and he's like, better to go to the house of mourning uh, than to the house of feasting. And you're like, I don't know. Thanksgiving sounds better, right? Like, uh, like I can go to the wake or I can go to Thanksgiving. I'm going to take Thanksgiving, Right? Uh, and, and, you know, better the day of, day of death than the day of birth. And you're like, I don't know, right? Like, 
Parents seem pretty happy at the hospital on the day of birth, right? The kid might be crying a little bit, right? But, but you get there on the day of death, and it's, it's a dark day, right? And, the, and the, the reason the author of Ecclesiastes is, is drawing out these parables, these kind of comparisons, is to make you feel that. If you read this and you're like, I agree, that is absolutely right, with no like other thought about it, like you probably need to see someone. Like you need to sit down and just talk to someone about whatever's going on inside of you. Right? Whatever's inside of you that makes you feel like that stuff right there just resonates with me. Right? Like sometimes I had a, it's a good, it's one of my favorite stories. I, I have a lot of stories. Um, but uh, I was here at this church and uh, there was a youth here. They're not in the room right now, so I feel like I can talk about them. Uh, and I won't name their name, um, but some people will know who this is. Um, but the youth was here, uh, and he was checked out. He didn't want to have to do with youth. I'm not sure how he ended up here, but he didn't want to be here. It was pretty clear. And so and I didn't know this, this person, so I went up to him, and I introduced myself. said, hey, I'm Matt. I'm the pastor. And I'm pretty good with teenagers. Um, like, that was my job for a decade. And so, like, I still can do it. Uh, maybe a little awkward at times, but I can still do it, right? right? I know about the TikTokers and all that stuff, right? I'm big. I'm big on the YouTube. I understand it all, right? The snapper chatter, I got all that stuff in my head. I'm, I'm current, I'm hip, as the kids say these days, right? Um, my, my, my teenagers back there, my personal teenagers were like, oh, dad, right? By the way, I told, my, I told my kids one day that I was just gonna throw up, throw up this, and then at the end of a sermon, catch it one day. I just thought one day I might do that for free. That was for Annie, by the way. I was like, what the heck is he doing? Um, but I walked up to this kid. And he was just sitting there, like, on his phone, which is what kids do when they don't want to see people, or they just stare at their phone. And so I go, hey, I'm Matt, I'm, I'm pastor here, what's your name? And he kind of tells me his name, but he's, like, gr grunting it at me, like, I don't want you here, but here's my name, get out of here. And I, and I don't take that well as an adult, like, I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to push further into you, right? I'm not going to walk away because you want me to leave you alone. And so I say, well, he was listening to music. I, I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm listening to music. I said, well, well, what sort of music are you listening to? And I have a wide, like, a wide knowledge of music. I don't like almost any of it, to be honest with you. But, I, but I've heard a lot of it, and I know what generally is going on there. And this was his response, curt and angry. It's not mainstream. That's all he said. It's not mainstream. And I was like, okay, psycho. Right? <laughs> and, just, and just walked away. Because, you know, some people, like, like, the sour notes of life, they're like, that's my note. I like that. But for most of us who are well uh, acquainted with how to live in the world, when we read stuff like Ecclesiastes, we're like, no, I don't like that. Now, this kid might love Ecclesiastes. Maybe I should have just pointed him there right then, right? And he would have been all in. And he's like, this is my people right here. Like, sorrow, yeah. Anger, yeah. I don't understand. Right? I, well, I won't get into that. I was going to knock jazz for a second there unnecessarily. By the way, anyone like jazz in the room? Just real quick. I got two, three. Oh, wow. Really? Later on, I'll do a whole sermon on jazz. I don't know how. I'm going to do it later, okay? That's not this Sunday. This Sunday is also going to be against the shift. We're just to be back on that. No. Um, I, but, yeah, uh, whoa, that blew my mind. There's like more than six people in the world who like jazz. I never would have guessed that. Continuing on, though, uh, he's writing this uh, to, to set you up to let you know about the sourness of the world. And what he's trying to draw out there, the comparison, is that there is a frivolous, there's a frivolity in our world. Uh, frivolity, uh, Alyssa, uh, means some sort of like uh, happiness um, that doesn't really matter. It's, a, it's kind of a carefree happiness about things 
that aren't that big of a deal. Our world is full of frivolity, right? At most, every TV show we watch is frivolous. It's unnecessary. It's made to entertain. It's cotton candy. It's here, and then it's gone. It doesn't last. It doesn't create any lasting impact in our life. Most of what we consume uh, through our eyes and through our ears to entertain us is just pure frivolous things. And the danger with this frivolous world that we live in, the danger of frivolity in our world today, is that it masks what is real, right? It hides a truth underneath it. And there's a reality that most of us, like, we're aware of, but we don't like to see it. And the author of Ecclesiastes is trying to pull that away and say, away from the parties, away from the feasting, away from the celebration, away from the people playing music and entertaining you, away from all of that, this is life. And I'll tell you what, if you really like dive into what life is, it is often pain. It's often sorrow. Right? It's often mourning and grieving, and we hide it. Right? We mask it with frivolous activities. Right? We mask it with television shows and music. We mask it because we don't like to see it. But if we're going to seek wisdom, the ultimate goal that he's trying to get us there, we have to begin to look clearly at what life is. And that doesn't mean life is always sour. Right? It is very true that there are joyous moments in your life. Right? That is a, a blessing from God that our life isn't always slowly walking to the grave. But the truth is, that is that's the end of this life. Right? There's, there's cemetery. I, Galveston Island, uh, if you've ever been to Galveston, uh, not a great beach, fun fact. But I grew up in Houston, so it was my beach, um, Galveston. But you would drive into Galveston, um, and man, the whole inner part of Galveston is just cemeteries. You know, I mean, it's like, it, it's insane. You just drive through it, and it's just cemeteries. The entire middle section of the island is cemeteries. Because so many people have lived on Galveston Island over the last you know, 200 years, um, and they had to put them somewhere. And so they don't put them on the, the beach for a lot of reasons. And so they're all right there uh, inland on this, on this small island, and it is packed. It is a, a, a stark reminder as you're going to the beach to enjoy some frivolous activity, that like this thing that we're doing right now, it, it's not lasting, right? And, and, and it's cathartic, right? It's cathartic in some way for our souls to recognize that this thing that we're doing, that we're entertaining ourselves to, to hide from, it's real. Like death is real. Sorrow is real. And, and to pretend like it's not because there's some celebration that you can, you can watch over. To pretend like it's not because there's something you can, you can watch on YouTube uh, to take your mind off of it. Mask reality. And this mask of reality makes it hard to obtain wisdom, because wisdom is derived from real world that we live in, not this fake, altered world that we can hide in for our souls. I'm not against uh, frivolity. I really think that there's, there's a time uh, for being frivolous. There's a time for entertainment. Um, but boy, there's a time for introspection. And if your whole life is allowing yourself to be entertained away from seeing things that matter, then, then you're going to end up very unwise. You're going to end up wise to what frivolous people look like, which are fools, uh, and not wise to what true wisdom is, which is finding some meaning and purpose in this world that we're placed in right here. And so he has all these comparisons, but really he's just drawing out the idea 
that frivolity masks reality. Continuing on in verse 8, he says, Better is the end of the thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. I'll continue on. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Well, that's a hard one for some of us, right? But what he's, what he's going into here, right? he says, better is the, the end of things than the beginning of things. You know the people who are the opposite of this, right? The, the foolish person. And they set out with their grand plan. And it's like, this is what we're going to do. And they've got their vision, and they've got it all sketched out, but they have absolutely no legs to them. And so the picture that they paint of the future is great, but six months into pursuing that future, they're done. Right? Jesus talks about the person who sets out to buy a house or to build a tower and doesn't calculate the cost that it's going to take to build that, right? And the derision and mockery that comes to the person right, who, who, who sets out to do something that they don't actually count the cost to go in to do. Right? There's an idea out there that a lot of us were, were, were rash in our decision making. We have a dream, we have a concept, we have a thing that we want, and we just go for it. We press for it, and then when we don't achieve it immediately, because you won't achieve it, almost anything worth achieving, you will not achieve immediately. Right? If you want to be a doctor, say, I want to be a doctor, and then you're like, I'm going to go to school, and you've never been to college. You're like, I'm going to go to college, and then I've got to go to med school, and then I've got to do my residency, and you're going to go to college, and then you're like, you know what? School stinks, I'm out. Right? Right, your grand plan, you didn't count the cost of what it was going to be for you to get there. Right? And there's a lot of noble grand plans that we have, but we don't often count the cost fully. And so we make rash decisions, we have rash behavior, and with that, uh, we become frustrated with ourselves. Some of you right now are living frustrated with yourself. The reality, this is midlife crisis, by the way, in case you're wondering how midlife crisis come to be, the reality of who you thought you were going to be when you were 25 years old, and the reality of who you are when you're 45, 55 years old, do not match. You didn't reach your goals. You didn't achieve your dreams. You feel like you've wasted your life. And so then you go back to frivolous things, and you buy cars, and you dye your hair because that makes you younger all of a sudden, right? And you do all of these things because you think that that's going to make you happy. It's going to fulfill the things that you didn't achieve. It's not to say you didn't achieve good things or great things, but who you thought you were going to be doesn't match up with who you see in the mirror. Right? And that becomes, a, it can build inside of us a bitterness right, towards ourselves and towards other people because we look at other people. Like I can look at people I went to school with and I'm like, they were idiots and somehow they're successful. And that frustrates me. Right? Idiots who become successful. It frustrates me. But something in them clicked after I stopped talking to them. Uh, maybe that's what clicked, actually, um, as I stopped talking to them. And they figured life out. They went to work. They got serious. They made a plan. They pursued a plan. They achieved a plan. And instead of saying, I'm going to do this and then giving up after six months or six weeks or six days or six minutes, they continued on. Right? Some of you, right, you've, you've, you've jumped onto all New Year's resolutions, right? I'm going to. I'm going to read my Bible, and six days later, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to reevaluate how I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to go to the gym, and, you know, after like $300 of gym payments and 30 minutes of going to the gym, you're like, maybe this wasn't the best investment in my life. I'm going to buy a treadmill, and then after the clothes are piled up on it, you're like, hey, maybe, 
Maybe that wasn't the right thing, and we can become bitter because of that. You know, the, the, the author here says, you know, be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools, right? You can become bitter to the point that you become angry, and then the anger lodges in your heart, and you carry around bitterness. You look at other people, and you're envious of them, and then and to disguise that, you go back to frivolous activities. Right? There's no wisdom there. You're not making progress when you're, when you're behaving rashly. So you need to count the cost of whatever it is you're setting out to do. If you're going to be a Christ follower, which I encourage you to be, right? I mean, if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, a lot of us entered into our relationship with Jesus Christ under some false pretenses. Right? Some, somebody somewhere told you kind of like a half story about Jesus. They told you that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and that Jesus rose again and, and that all you have to do is like believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. And you know what? That's 100% true. It's 100% true, but they didn't draw out like what that means for you going forward with Jesus as the Lord of your life. Right? And I'm not going to question your salvation. That's not the point of this. The point is a lot of people begin their walk with Jesus on this promise and they have no understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. They don't. And we do them a disservice by not letting them know, like, hey, yeah, you, you will receive forgiveness for your sins. If you confess to your mouth of Jesus, Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. That is God's word. There's a promise from Scripture right there. But there's an idea that Jesus lays out all through the New Testament. And if you look through the Old Testament about following God as well, it's there. That we need to be faithful in following God. Following the leadership of Jesus Christ. That's why the earliest baptismal confession. We get people in the tub up there. Back in the day, it was probably a river, to be fair, the earliest baptismal confession, right? But, but the, 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 the person who was confessing would say, Jesus is Lord. Lord, it wasn't Jesus' is Savior, which is a confession of who Jesus is, but that he's Lord, he's in charge, he's master, he's, he's over all things, right? And, and a lot of us, we, we came in uh, to Jesus' as Savior, and then I'm here telling you, well, Jesus is also Lord, and you never, you never counted that cost. You never counted that. You never, you never thought what that would do with your relationships, with your coworkers, with your family. You never understood what that would do to how you're supposed to interact with your world, with your finances. You never thought about what that would do with how you're supposed to be going to share the gospel. Some of you are likely called to go do some sort of ministry service here or around the world. And God is calling you to that. And when you became a believer in Jesus, you never counted that as a possibility. You thought, Lord, I will follow you as far as it takes to get salvation. Right, if that's to the tub, or if that's before the tub, at the prayer, whatever it takes, whatever the minimum degree of following, I'll do. And I don't, I honestly, I believe that you're saved the moment that you confess and believe in your heart that Jesus is, is who he says he is. I think the Bible is clear on that. But I think a lot of us are shipwrecked in our faith because we never counted the cost. We, we acted rashly, and then we never counted what it would cost us. And because of that, we can be bitter in our lives. That includes all areas of your life. If you're pursuing wisdom, if you're a rash person in your activities, you will never achieve that. There was a man I worked with, worked alongside, uh, and I described him as a shotgun. Man, he was so excited about everything for like two weeks if you could find a job that every two weeks he had to do something totally different he would be the best worker in all of human history he was explosively excited 
He would draw people in. They'd be like, let's go charge that mountain. And then three weeks into it, all of a sudden, he's lost all of that. The impact's here. As the spread goes out, right, there's not a whole lot of impact going out from the shotgun when you push back a little bit. And he was just, he was rash. He's a good man, loved the Lord, wanted to see great things done for Jesus, but, but couldn't ever settle on what God was calling him to do. And so he bounced from this to this to this to this, this initiative to that ministry, to this opportunity to that, that ministry, to this initiative. And he just bounced around all good things, all good places, but never making the impact that God had intended him to make because he never was committed. He was a rash person. Guys, be careful about being rash in your pursuit of wisdom. If you don't get it today, if you don't achieve it today, understand it's still there tomorrow. You know, the Bible describes wisdom as, as like, like precious jewels, right? They have to be searched for, to be hunted for. Not like you're just walking down the street and be like, oh, there's a $100 bill. Right? That's a rare occurrence in your life, right? You've got to look for it. You've got to work for it. For it. You've got to mine for it. And at the end of all your toil, you can hold something up and be like, look, I found wisdom. And you hold on to it for all it's worth. We should be seeking after it. But when we commit ourselves to it, we need to commit ourselves. We don't need to behave. Rash is going down to verse 11. It says, wisdom is good with an inheritance and an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves a life of him who has it. Here the author compares wisdom to money. And he says the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. That can mean two things. One, it can mean that wisdom protects you like money protects you, right? You can buy protection with money. You can build a fence. You can build a wall. You can build a moat, drawbridge, maybe a dragon, right? You can buy a lot of things to protect you with money. Maybe some dogs, I guess. Those might be more practical than dragons. Um, but yeah, so you can, you can, money can help to protect you. You can protect yourself with money. The problem with money, as we've learned all through the book of Ecclesiastes, is it slips through your fingers and it's hard to hold on to. Right? Someone else is always going after it. Right? But wisdom, wisdom protects you just like that, but it's yours. You hold on to it and it has the same ability to protect you because you see things coming before they come. You don't need the drawbridge because you, you already see the, the, the threat before it happens. Right? If you can outthink the person... You don't have to worry about it. You know why Tom Brady wins Super Bowls? I, this is my theory, by the way. I think he's just smarter than the other people he plays against. I think he gets the ball, he takes a step back, and he knows what everyone is doing. He knows what his guys are supposed to be doing, and they're going to do it. And he knows what everyone on the field on the other side thinks they're tricking him. But he knows it, and so he just picks them apart. He's, he doesn't have the best arm in the NFL, never has. Right? He's not fast in any meaningful way as a football player. He's just smarter. It's just like he can see it. He has wisdom. He has trained himself to do that. Right? And I'm not a big Tom Brady fan. Right? But like he just he just knows it. He just steps back, like, hey, this guy's gonna come, that guy's gonna be up. There it is, open. Boom, boom. 12 yards, we'll do it again and again and again. And eventually we'll win like our eighth or tenth or hundredth super. I don't know. He can play football until his arm falls off, I think. He's just smarter. He's just wiser about what they're trying to do. Wisdom protects you. Wisdom has the ability to protect you. Just, just as money has the ability to protect you, there's real value in wisdom. But also, the other way it can mean is that we should protect wisdom like we protect money. 
right? Like, like we, have, we have money, and we try everything we can to hold on to it as long as we can, right? We invest it, and we try to make it work for us, and we make sure that we don't just throw it away, unless you're like a teenager, and then money just flies out your hands like you're insane, right? But typically, we try to hold on to it. We try to be smart with it because we know its value. Wisdom's the same thing. We need to protect that at all costs. You need to hold on to it, right? You don't need to you know, you know, just try to lose it along the way. It's valuable, so we should, we should treasure it in that way. You know, the truth is, guys, um, that people who seek wisdom seek the right thing. Wisdom is of ultimate value of the things that we can obtain on this world, that we ourselves can set out to obtain. Wisdom has ultimate value. Right? Salvation is the ultimate value, but you can't seek out to obtain it. Right? That's a free gift of God that he gives to you freely through the person of Jesus Christ. Wisdom is something you can't obtain. If you'll seek it, if you'll look for it, if you'll do the work, if you'll stop being distracted by the frivolous things around us, if you can just stay dedicated, you can be wiser today than you were yesterday. And I don't care if you're 85 years old or if you're 8 years old. This is true for you. You're not done. You can be wiser tomorrow than you were today if you seek after that. But that means you're going to have to do away with some of the things that distract you from wisdom. Some of those frivolous things out there. You don't have to be willing to face reality as it is. Wise people can look at death and suffering and destruction and they can, they can process all of that through the matrix of faith and come out on the other side. You know, I, I had a tough time last Sunday trying to do my announcements about Joe Reyes. I'm not a super emotional guy, as I've said before and as most of you have seen. And so when I get choked up, like, it's embarrassing to me. Uh, it just like, and it's not, uh, Ms. Ms. Whitmore called me and, and said, hey, you don't need to, you know, be, be embarrassed about crying. And I'm not really, I just, I just, there's something about it that says, I just want to, like, when I'm here, when I'm here, I want to be in control so that I can give you all uh, the best that I have for God. And so it's not all machismo, though probably some of it is, like, oh, I'm not going to cry. Like, that, maybe some of that's in me. Um, but, you know, like, uh, I, I really, I, I want to give you all the best. And, and after that sermon, uh, Brian Price's mother was in town, right? And she comes to me, and, and she's like, hey, a good message. And I was like, thank you. Uh, it was, by the way, great, by the way, just wonderful. Um, y'all were blessed by it. Um, and she said, good message. I said, thank you very much. And then she said, but, you know, I know you know this. And she kind of went through, like, like just, just basic wisdom about death. And it wasn't anything new to me. But like, like that this thing right now, like this, this death right now, like it's, it's, it's not forever, right? Like Joe knew the Lord, right? And so, so he's, he's not wanting to come back, which is like in my mind, like hard to think. Like he's got three kids. Why would he want to come back, right? But he's not wanting to come back. He wouldn't trade where he is now for where he was two weeks ago, right? And there's a, there's a, there's a reunification later, and that's wisdom at work, Right? To come to someone and say, hey, I see you're having a little bit of a problem here. Let me instruct you. What a gift that was to me. I kind of want to be like, shut up. <laughs> right? Sometimes when wise people give it to you, you want to tell them to shut up. Is your mom watching right now? Unlikely, right? Good. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it was, a, it was a gift to me. Like, I left that conversation. I was like, huh, that's, that's not bad. Right? Because like, I, I know it. Right? Like, I know. I, I do funerals. I understand the how death works and God's ultimate plan. Man, facing reality, it's hard. It's hard sometimes. And really what I need, just full disclosure, 
I need like three days to process tragedy. I need three days. I had one day, so I was two days short. Uh, so you got stutter and stammer and Matt. If it had been three days later, you might have got almost together, Matt, uh, like you did this Sunday. Um, but you know, wise people, people who pursue after wisdom, they can face that reality. They can face the reality of tragedy and the reality of joy and how those two things just run into each other way too often. And they can face that reality without ever growing bitter about what's going on in the midst of that. That's wisdom. Wisdom is being able to look at the reality of the world today, the sorrow in the world today, the suffering in the world today, and the joy in the world today, and to run all of those through, things through your mind and not grow bitter at the end of it. And that's hard to do. You know why that's hard to do? Because sometimes scoundrels seem to be doing okay. And I, and I don't mean like, like, like your brother-in-law, unless your brother-in-law is a legitimate scoundrel. I mean like really bad people. And you look at them and like justice, like where's, where is justice? God, why is this person who's a God-hating, you know, openly opposed to you person, why does their life from the outside in, we're not in it, from the outside in, seem to have so much joy in it? And in my life, for this person that I love's life, maybe someone near you, is just sorrow and hurt. How are those two things possible? The wise person is able to process both of those things and to place them together without ever growing bitter in their heart and knowing that God is over all. And ultimately, like, like, like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That the idea that we can look at God and say, God, like, you're in charge, I guess, is the beginning of wisdom. So today, that's my, my challenge to you. Begin pursuing wisdom. Start with the fear of the Lord. Find a way to, to shut off some of the frivolity in the world today and to think clearly about the reality that we face the reality of the world in front of us, and to do that in a faithful way. Because Christ did just that. He came to this broken world, facing all the brokenness in the world, took on the sins of the world so that you could receive eternal life. And if Christ can face the brokenness of this world, we as his followers are compelled to follow his lead today. Let me pray.